ask of me, I will give you the nations for your inheritance, and the ends of the earth for your possession. Welcome to the Joshua Nations Inheritance Podcast. I'm in America right now. I'm born a South African. God took us from South Africa in 1994 permanently. Uh, we thought we were going to be living in London. We were based there, but then um, God brought us to America, and we've been helping churches here in America for many, many years. Just to give you a little context to what I want to share with you today, my heart, my wife and I, from Israel time, 1981, God called us to the nations and he said, your church will be amongst the churches. I, I didn't quite understand that. Um, I was a young 20-something, but we soon realized that God was taking us to minister, uh, not just to problem churches, but um, get alongside pastors and leaders. And we've been doing that for over 40 years. During this time, I've developed, um, well, I've, I've had some observations. I've, you know, I've gone in and, and helped churches, been able to discern what their problem is and so on. But I've noticed things over the years in the church, and, uh, and to some degree, I have a concern for it, but a healthy concern, one that's um, motivating me to pray and, and believe for what God is wanting to do. And I want to share quickly some of those concerns and observations that I've made, and then I'll, I'll try and put uh, the rest, you know, in bed, as it were, to these things. So the first one is, um, right now, the uh, world population is outpacing the rebirth uh, population, if you like. I think right now, the evangelical, Pentecostal, charismatic churches are around about 10% of the world population. Um, and if we continue just to do what we do normally as church, uh, that, uh, that's going to increase. So, for example, in five to eight years, it might be uh, one in 15 and so on. And so that's kind of concerning me in the sense of the mission. And one of the things we do is we talk to the church and see how we can mobilize every individual uh, as opposed to just you know, the church having outreach programs that everybody can uh, become mobilized every moment of the day, and what that looks like. We call it the one in 10 uh, program. And then the other thing is that the church, it seems to me over the years that the church is always trying to catch up to events and COVID would be a good example of that where, um, you know, it hit, it hit everybody by surprise and uh, the church suffered. I mean, some of my contacts in different parts of the world, um, a lot of pastors stepped out of the ministry. They just didn't have congregations. People, when it came back again, people went elsewhere and they lost their congregations. So it had a fairly devastating effect on the church per se, which means we need to be ahead of the curve. We need to be sitting down praying and asking God, what if, what if this happens? What do you want us to do? What is the solution to it before it even happens? And I think that in the times that we're living in, it's very important for us to maybe consider that. 
The other thing is we have, as you all know, a predominantly uh, attractional model church. Uh, and so, for example, if a local church here stops having services, the church no longer exists. And, uh, and for that reason, we also, again, need to mobilize people. We need to find a way to, to do that. The, the next one quickly is uh, we've lost, and I spoke to Billy about this a little while back, but we've lost two important narratives in the church. About 25 years ago, the, the narrative of the Holy Spirit and how important that is to the church and to the body of Christ and to the individual, that kind of faded away with this postmodern movement, and I'm not being critical. That kind of faded away. It was a little awkward. And then eschatology, end times, and people no longer spoke about it. There's generations that don't know much about the Holy Spirit and eschatology, end times, Jesus coming, the return of Christ. So having said all that, what is the solution? What is at least the beginning of a solution to address many of these issues and many, many more? There needs to be an awakening of the church. The early church had a, a sort of an outside-in experience, but I think this awakening of the church is going to be an inside-out experience. You know, God has deposited so much in us. I mean, you know, the fullness of Christ or the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Christ and Christ dwells in us and the Holy Spirit dwells in us and the Word of God dwells in us. So we've been set up for an inside-out revival, if you like. And I think that's very, very important. Um, but here, here is why we need this revival. First of all, we need it for salvation. People need to get saved. And I know uh, Joshua Nations is actively involved in the pursuit of the lost, training people to be able to reach the lost. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life, John 3.16. We all know that off by heart. What we found over the years is that people have been asking Amanda and I questions, and through these questions, we've been able to diagnose this problem. The, 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 most, the most asked questions of, ours, of us over the last 42 years is why is this happening to me? It's kind of like a Gideon kind of response. Why is this happening to me and I'm still living in a cave? Why is Joe getting healed and Susie getting blessed and I'm not getting blessed? Uh, and so this dilemma um, is, is, is permeating the church. And there are people within the church that are struggling to reconcile the promises of God with their life with their everyday life. And, uh, and so they absorb by it. And with that, the church is, if you like, absorb, absorbed by it. And, and pastors are spending a lot of time off mission in order to deal with some of these issues within the congregation. The other one, the second most asked question of us is, what is God saying to me? People are struggling to hear God speak to them personally. And that's why when there's a prophet in town, the whole town arrives, because we need God to speak to us. 
and God is speaking to us. And they, you know, people can't discern what is God's voice and what's not God's voice. Now, this is a, a, a serious problem that we have to address in the church. Um, the third one is what is God's calling in my life? This is one of the three most asked questions of me as I travel throughout the world. People say, Pastor, please pray for me. I'm not sure what God's calling is for my life. Even people that are involved in ministry in the church have come up to me and said, Pastor, please pray. I'm not sure what I should be doing. So what we're doing in the church is we're crisis managing the expectations and the disappointments of these three questions, and we have to put the mission on hold. And discipling is basically trying to resolve these problems in people's lives. Now, there are problems, and I'm not suggesting we stop doing that, but we need to realize that it is, it is stalling the actual purpose for which people are born again which is to reach and to touch lives. You know, the early church was not an attractional model. The early church was a bunch of people that got the message and the commission from Jesus and went back into their lives, and the church was added to daily. And, and there's no record of a tent meeting downtown Jerusalem where everybody got saved every night. There's no record that in the synagogues people were getting saved. They were getting saved in the street, at the workplace, where people were relaxing. The, the, God, the, the work of God was being done. And then the apostles said, listen, we have prophets, evangelists, teachers. Let's get together and help these people, equip these people for what they're already doing. And so this is my passion. I want to see the, the church to succeed. I believe God wants the church to succeed, but we need an awakening. We need, you know, in Romans chapter 8, it says, the whole of creation is groaning, waiting in anticipation for the revelation of the sons of God. That chapter is in the midst of trouble. Who can separate us from the love of God? Can pestilence, war, rumors of war, death, life, Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ because we are the body of Christ. Discipleship, you know, discipleship's a funny thing. I think what we're doing right now is we're we recycling people through the church over and over again, sort of trying to solve problems in their lives when we need to trust God for an awakening in their lives, an inside-out experience. Everything they longing for and, and, and expecting is already in them. And we have to find a way of cracking the nut, as it were, and allowing that to permeate out of them. You know, we're all called. We're not just saved. We're all called as well. And people are struggling. What is my calling? Why can't I hear God's voice? How can you hear God's voice and I'm not hearing God's voice? Well, how can I reconcile all these bad things that are happening to me with what God promises me? We're stuck there. We're stuck in that situation. Discipling is a, like a, I call it a snowball effect. It's a perpetual compounding multiplication. 
As the snowball rolls, it picks up more. If we're not picking up more snow, then it's not working. I, th I believe that, that we, have to, we have to introduce the mission as a priority. And as we introduce the mission as a priority, then the, the problems solve themselves as well. If people aren't involved in the mission, and I mean personally, not just going to another nation, but every day in their lives and excited about it, you know, the, these questions will remain. The second thing is the blessed hope. This is important for the grace of God. And I'm, what I'm doing is I'm sharing some things that, uh, that this awakening will release. The blessed hope for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is very critical in the awakening of the church, is to be expecting Jesus to return. I've spoken to multiple Christians, and I'm not denying they're Christians. They don't know what I'm talking about. Because this narrative has been dropped 25 years ago. What this does, it gets us ready for the presence of God, for heaven, for the kingdom of God. The third thing is the, the purpose of the body of Christ. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. This is very important. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, that in all things, all things, he may have preeminence. God's wanting to be involved in every minute aspect of everybody's lives. Every encounter, every thought, every experience, every normal thing in their life, God wants to collaborate and be part of our lives. And we have to teach our people that. We have to find ways for them to reach that as well through Scripture. Because when we do that, then we are now beginning to do what he wants, not what we want. And these questions that keep being asked over and over by people become mute. Because all things work to the good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose, not our purpose. The church is not there. Church needs to be there. The whole of creation is waiting in anticipation. It says, and to make all see what the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Christ Jesus to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. This is an awesome, awesome call of God on the church, the body of Christ. I, I really feel that the enemy has is, is, is got us locked on lockdown. We're, we've actually been in lockdown for a while. 
in many ways. And it's time to unlock the doors and the windows. It's time to get out. It's time for our people to get out, take their responsibility. That was Ephesians 3 verse 9. The third thing is to fulfill God's purposes. It says in 2 Timothy 1.9, who has saved us, this is God, and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. So we are dealing with an eternal thing here, not just a, a moment thing, not just in the moment thing. Most of our people are living in the moment, and, and they're trying to shut down the past, and they may be a little fearful of the future. This is an eternal plan, the purposes of God. He saved you and I to fulfill his purposes. And when we do that, then everything, everything else comes together for us and more. This is what we have to be teaching our people. This is what they need to be hearing. They need to come alive. Now, they are. They are Christians. They're going to heaven. Don't misunderstand me. But there's an eternal purpose for them. Before the foundations of this world were laid, God thought about them. And his thoughts were like sand or the sand of the sea. Our life has been eternal one way or the other. doesn't matter which way you cut it. We didn't just suddenly, okay, now we're part of the deal. God had always purposed for that. We had to make the choice and the decision, of course. But this is, this is what the church needs to step into. Okay, so here's how this awakening or revival will happen. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. I've been to prayer meetings all over the world and people are praying for God to come down. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that. But he's already down. He's already down here. He's already in us. It, he has to get out of us. And with that living water flowing from us comes what we should be doing, whatever that is. And then, again, these questions don't mean anything any longer because all things, whether it's bad or good, it doesn't matter. All things work eventually to our good. Even when people rebuke us or, or, or accuse us falsely, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Everything turns around and works for our good. Okay, now yes, quickly, we're living in two worlds, right? We're living on this planet and uh, things are looking a little scary lately, but we're living here. This is where we live. But our permanent residence is not here. Our permanent residence is in the kingdom of God. John 17, 14 says, I have given them your word. It's talking about us. And the world has hated them because they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. Jesus said, I'm in this world, but I'm not of this world. And based on that scripture, we can say we're in this world, but we are not of this world. People have to resettle, pack up their bags, 
pack the trucks and move to the kingdom of God and make their permanent residence there. Because if we remain residing just in this world, then this world and everything that's going on in this world will be overbearing, especially nowadays. But if we live in the kingdom of God, because we are seated in heavenly places, and he is in us, he's not, he's not, I mean, where he is, is the kingdom of God. Then instead of trying to piecemeal, you know, the kingdom into my circumstances, I'm taking this world and I'm filtering it through the kingdom of God and that which is not of God fades away and that which is of God is important. I'm able to correctly discern all things. And that's not just me as a pastor, but every individual. Now, we have received not the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may know the things that have been freely given to us by God. So if we embrace the Holy Spirit again, and we reside permanently in the kingdom of God, where we should be, then, only then, we will understand the things that are freely given to us. If not, it's all going to be confusing. Here's a little nugget for you guys. Faith. That's where we begin. That's where we have to begin with our people. We have to shore up their faiths. Faith, by the way, is a gift from God, right? Faith is a gift from God. And it's an unconditional gift from God. Everyone has received the gift of faith. But faith, and I'm going to explain this, but faith is not for me. It's to please him. Unconditional faith given to us to please him. We in turn, we in turn have a gift to give God, which is unconditional obedience, which is created by us. God cannot give me obedience. You know, it's very difficult. I mean, I can't pray, Lord, I've run out of obedience. Can, I, can you please sort of pull me up with some more obedience? No, we are the creators of obedience, just like Adam was, but he decided to create disobedience, which didn't gel with faith. And so we offer God the gift of obedience, right? Unconditional obedience that blesses us. We flip that around. We use faith to please ourselves and obedience to try and please God. It doesn't work that way. And Samuel says, has, has the Lord as, as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of the rams. 1 Samuel 15, 22. So using our free will, which God gave us, and our God-given authority and dominion, we produce or create unconditional obedience, which is our significant contribution to our relationship with the Lord. When these two mechanisms lock in with one another, when these two formulas come together and lock in with one another, the transformation begins. Unconditional obedience is best. Sacrifice is good. Sacrifice is letting go of something you don't really want to lose but should lose. 
Obedience is better. Obedience is doing something you don't really want to do, but should do. Unconditional obedience is best. Good, better, best. Unconditional obedience is doing something and letting go of something we really want to do and let go, not for our needs, but for him and his purposes. Faith begins to move mountains. Faith is a gift from God, and we please him with the gift of obedience. And what does this do, this obedience? We have access now to the eternal realities, promises, and possibilities of God. And this absolutely pleases God. God has given us dominion, authority, and a free will, and it's using our free will, authority, and dominion to obey him unconditionally that contains the redeeming value in any good work. In other words, I could use my authority and dominion, just like Adam did, and my free will to be kind to somebody. The act of kindness will never please God. But the fact that I chose to do that with a gift that God has given me is, is the redeeming value of our good works. So this is a divine mutual gift exchange. God giving me, us, the seed of faith, and we in turn giving him the fertile ground of unconditional obedience. So this faith that we've just put together now, God's gift to me, unconditional gift to me, for him, and my unconditional gift to him that blesses me. As we put those two together, this weapon, let's call it a weapon, begins to shoot in different directions. It shoots into the past, it shoots into the present, and it shoots into the future. We are incurring a death blow to all our bad experiences, our present turmoil, and our compromised expectations at once. It's not just fighting one battle at a time in the now. I'm in the kingdom of God now, and I'm through faith and unconditional obedience. It's settling the matter altogether. Everything, every hurt from the past must go. Every good thing today, every, in fact, all things working now are working to my good, and the future is eternal and wonderful. There's another pairing that needs to take place after this, the pairing of faith and truth. And what's that pairing for? It's the devil. He's one of four adversaries that's pushing you and I, just like he did with Paul, preventing us from the upward call of God. And he's holding back. And, and, and these four elements need to be dealt with as we put together faith properly from the start. So faith and truth have to be combined. What does the devil bring to the table when it comes to trying to prevent the church and to prevent us from doing the purpose of God as opposed to our purposes? What does he do? We fear mongers. Be sober and vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now, us South Africans know that if a lion roars, the game, the bookies, Everything is gone. There's no prey at all. All right? They get out of the way. You can't catch animals as a lion if you roar. You have to be stealth and quiet like a cat. 
So he's like a lion, but he's not a lion. And basically what he's trying to do is scare us because if you're walking through the bush and you hear a lion maybe 20 feet away, you're done. Especially if you're upwind of that lion, you're done. It's the fear of something that isn't what it is. That's what he does. And so our troubles, oh my God, this is the biggest thing I've gone through. I don't know if I can survive this problem this time around. Pastor, please help me. It's all over. It's a lie. Because all things work to the good for those that love the Lord and are called, called according to his purpose. So what do we do? We counter that with faith and truth. We put those two together. Remember, faith and obedience exists now. Now we add to that truth. The truth we acquire. Faith is already given. And obedience has activated that faith. Now we see things for what they really are. And that's what our people need. Because they're looking at their circumstances and they're hearing what we're saying and they're thinking, I must be doing something wrong. Or maybe I'm not doing enough of something. And they get into a works for reward mentality and that takes them on a trail we don't want them to go. Of course, if you're sinning, repent. The second adversary is ourselves, you and I. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. Galatians 5.17. What do we bring to the table when it comes to all this drama? Pride and disobedience. Who can deny that they've had a bit of pride now and again, right? Who can deny that every so often we disobey? And by the way, just as an interesting thing, is you and I decide when we want God to lead us and when we don't want God to lead us. Isn't that interesting? Especially when we're in trouble. Oh, God, I need your leading now. I need your voice. I need, you know, I need all these things now. But when the trouble's gone, we're just doing it our own way. Pride and disobedience. What do we bring to the table? Humility and obedience. That's how we destroy. Through this, this resurgence of faith and truth, humility and obedience now is resurrected and we deal with ourselves once and for all. The third one is life stuff. And of course, Romans talks about that and I'm going to end off now. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ or tribulation or distress and persecution or famine, nakedness, peril or sword? Neither life nor death, angels, principalities, powers. He literally goes through everything that, that is maybe bad in our lives. The Bible translators use the word who, not what. And I think we take our life stuff very personally. And, uh, and we get very hurt when we might lose the car or we might, you know, might have to give up the house. Or we, and I'm using extreme examples, but we're very hurt. Why, God, why did you love it? The reason why we hurt is we're not as fully established in the kingdom of God. We're really looking at these things with truth. And clarity. Now, people need that now, especially in the time that we're living in. And what does this do? It brings despair and being overwhelmed. And I find many people in great despair right now. They're overwhelmed. Pastor, what must I do? What's going on? What's the solution? Hope and victory to compensate our despair and being overwhelmed. And the last one. Is genetics. 
you and I created originally with the genetics of Adam. Jesus came, the second Adam came to not only create us in the image of God, but to be born again. We're flesh of his flesh. We're sons and daughters of God. That takes it to a whole new level. But we've got the genetics of Adam here that, that, uh, that needs, in this world, needs things to be perfect. And I think that is a, a, a normal thing, but it needs to be a, a dealt with in our lives. So we're born again, new spiritual DNA in order to understand and to live permanently in the kingdom where the blessings that, that don't meet those sort of Adamic uh, genetics, but our, our God-given genetics will be far greater than what Adam had. And so that's pretty much how we bring the church back into an awakening. We have to get them connected with faith again and what that really means and how, how collaborative are they in that process. That it's not just to get things, but to do the purposes of God. And through that, God blesses us, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. What the heck? What kind of joy is that? I don't even understand. Unspeakable? God spoils us. Can't help but spoil us. Unconditional love. That's why he's also called us. Because our calling and doing what he wants takes us from being spoiled brats to men and women of God doing Thank you for listening to the Joshua Nation's Inheritance Podcast. We hope you were encouraged and challenged with today's message. For more from Joshua Nation's visit our website, joshanations.org. Thank you.